welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series. In today's episode, we will be covering global reaction to U.S. tax reform, including how the EU, OECD, as well as MNEs have responded. My name is Dana Hart, and joining me today, I have Adam Katz, a transfer pricing partner in our PwC New York office, Lorenz Bernhardt, a transfer pricing partner in our PwC Berlin office, and Nick Hausman, a transfer pricing partner out of our PwC Sydney office. Adam, I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to you to moderate the discussion. Thank you. Uh, Welcome again to U.S. Tax Reform. I'm pleased to be moderating today's discussion uh, around the foreign perspective on U.S. tax reform. With some background, uh, in December of 2017, the U.S. uh, tax law was uh, enacted, uh, the the Jobs Creation uh, Tax Act, which changed in the most dramatic way in probably over 30 years, both individual and corporate tax systems in the United States. Of course, prior to 2018, the U.S. had one of the highest statutory corporate tax rates in the world, or certainly amongst OECD countries, and did not have a territorial system, but instead had a worldwide system, which is about, I think, six out of 34 OECD countries with a worldwide tax system. As a result of the tax reform, the U.S. federal corporate income tax rate was reduced to 21%. The worldwide tax system was replaced with a territorial tax system, albeit a partial territorial tax system, and a number of other provisions in the tax law were included, such as the deemed repatriation toll charge uh, for companies with uh, profits uh, prior to 2018, post-1986, and various anti-avoidance type provisions, including the beat-based erosion anti-abuse tax, guilty global intangible low taxed income, and uh, limitations on earned interest expense deductibility. Uh, There's also a foreign-derived intangible income incentive uh, to locate intangibles in the U.S. that was included. With today's uh, podcast, we're going to hear from our German and Australia uh, colleagues what the non-U.S. or view outside the U.S. is on U.S. tax reform. So, Lorenz, why don't we start with the European view on U.S. tax reform? Hello, also from my side, more than more than happy to do that. I mean, let me start with kind of the perspective of the EU, um, i.e. not individual states, but kind of the European Union. And there you see many signals how much pressure the European Union feels to react in light of the U.S. tax reform. Commissioner Juncker not only calls for a EU finance minister, which we didn't have in the past, but also has announced that he will push again for a common consolidated corporate tax base to have more uniform rules within the EU. But more concrete was a plan announced on March 21st on the taxation of the digital economy, which was right after the OECD published its interim report. And the European plans basically have two aspects. One is a long-term goal, which would kind of change the taxation away from the physical presence to a digital presence. But as an interim measure, they consider the introduction of a 3% turnover tax on digital trades. Now, with all these plans, you need to keep in mind that they, within the EU, require an unanimous vote of all the member countries. 
yeah, where the likelihood obviously is mixed. And kind of before this picture, you realize again the importance or the, the quality of the state aid cases, because relying on the currently existing state A legislation, the EU Commission can utilize legal measures which are already available. So we have this mix of kind of far-reaching plans for the introduction of new legislation, which again would require unanimous voting of all the countries, which is therefore a bit more in the future. And on the other hand, the very immediate ongoing re reaction using state aid legislation. Thank you, Lawrence. I think we'll come back to that in a moment in terms of EU-specific and country-specific responses. Going back to the view on perspective on U.S. tax reform, Nick, perhaps you can give us some commentary from Australia and more broadly Asia-Pacific. Um, yeah, sure. Thanks, Adam. So clearly the U.S. is a major trading partner of Australia and a large part of the region as well. And um, whilst the U.S. tax reform is a, is a, is a large and, and somewhat complex package, the headline it really uh, from, from this side of the world is the 21% tax rate. That's what captures the, the media and the political attention. And uh, that's such a significant reduction when a, a country such as Australia, which is, is now still at the, at the very top of the OECD tax rate scales at 30%, it's triggering um, you know, concern about the competitiveness of our tax regime and what this uh, reduction of the, U the US tax rate, which is really part of a, uh, a trend that we've seen already happen a couple of years ago in the UK with them dropping the corporate tax rate down to sort of low 21 and then 19 and generally lower uh, corporate tax rates around the region increasingly across the world. So in Australia, we've got a, uh, it's triggered a debate around our corporate tax rate. There's a bill in front of our parliament looking to reduce our corporate tax rate from uh, 30 down to 25 over a number of years. Um, there's, I, I think also um, when I look across the region, there's uh, a, a lot of interest with what the US tax reform package is going to mean more generally to the tax policies of uh, multinationals, uh, particularly US multinationals, and um, what that might mean for uh, countries across the region that are at the moment offering uh, lower tax rates or incentive tax rates and whether those uh, regimes will still be as attractive as perhaps they have been in the past uh, for US multinationals given the changes in the tax rules. So that's something that I know a number of countries are watching very closely to see how that will pan out. Thanks, Nick, for that perspective. I, I would add that the U.S. corporate rate of 21%, of course, is federal. When you factor in state taxes, uh, you may increase the effective U.S. rate to about 25 or 26%, uh, depending on where a company does business, maybe 27%. But that is still, you know, as you point out, well within the norm of uh, corporate tax rates around the world. So let's shift a bit to what some territories are contemplating specifically in response to U.S. tax reform in the short run. And I say in the short run because when tax reform was enacted, I believe certain countries in the EU or the EU officers uh, wrote to 
the U.S. Treasury Secretary, Munition, and uh, specifically said that uh, FDII, which is uh, an incentive for, for foreign-derived intangible income and certain services uh, for, for benefit outside the U.S., where effectively for the next several years the rate is 13.5%, uh, some believe that might be a violation of WTO of GATT, and uh, specifically on that, Lawrence, maybe you could comment on either EU or uh, other responses that might be coming out because of FDII in the U.S. Yes, thanks, Adam. I mean, maybe for, for that, I put my German hat on because we specifically have legislation which now kind of kicks in in light of FDII. It's important to understand, though, that this is not a reaction to the U.S. tax reform, but it was a law already implemented, enacted in 2017. But nobody at the time it was implemented in Germany thought about the implications it would have vis-à-vis -vis such an important trading nation also for us like the, like the U.S. We thought kind of our kind of which is called Licensed barrier legislation was aimed at tax havens where you kind of park IP and nobody really envisaged that it would apply to, again, a, a country like the, the U.S. I mean, the prerequisites and the, the consequences are very simple. If you have an intercompany license payment from Germany to a foreign jurisdiction, which second in the foreign jurisdiction is subject to a preferential tax regime, which you have with the FDII, and is taxed below 25%, and you don't have a clear nexus approach, then you will have a partial non-deductibility of the license payment in Germany. And obviously, so many MNCs have license payments going between these two trading nations. That's a big impact. On a more, more general um, level, there is no immediate counter-legislative measures, but when you talk to authorities and to representatives of the finance ministries, you hear considerable concern, for example, that uh, that BEAT goes away from a transactional approach to transfer pricing, which again is not a legislative measure, but it's a concern that we are undermining fundamental principles of transfer pricing. Well, that, that's a good observation, interesting observation, certainly in terms of uh, base erosion, anti-abuse, uh, but perhaps, you know, not to defend BEAT, but I think the view is that, you know, that the approach, both interest deductibility and some of what's in BEAT is based on the OECD BEPS action points and, and follow-up. And, uh, well, you know, I'm not here to defend BEAT in any way. You know, that certainly was, was the thinking. It's also worth noting that, uh, you know, they exempted out cost of goods sold, services cost method type costs, and uh, uh, other exceptions into the legislation. But uh, that said, Nick, perhaps you can also comment from a Australian multinational view in terms of, you know, is there anything that might happen such as denial of uh, royalty deductions uh, when to an FDII qualified uh, payment in the U.S. or other action that you see Australia possibly taking or other countries in Asia either specifically you know, unilaterally or collectively before the OECD mm. or other organizations? Sure. Uh, it's probably too early to say whether there will be direct measures aimed at trying to address what the US reform packages are presenting. But I will say that there is a trend towards looking at unilateral actions and actions that are 
if not outside the OE, what the OECD was suggesting, there's certainly uh, actions and laws that, that are going to increase the risk and, and the potential for double taxation. So, uh, for example, the digital tax that's being discussed in, in Europe, it's, it's likely that Australia will be producing a discussion paper on digital tax in the next two to three weeks. Uh, it's probably not fair to say that that's attributable to the US tax reform per se, but it's, uh, it's certainly an indication that there's uh, an increasing tendency for governments to, on the one hand, still try and, and maintain the, the consensus around the international uh, OECD um, you know, arms length standard, but on the other hand, also looking very closely at their domestic uh, tax situation and tax base and feeling quite comfortable to put out measures which perhaps are going to be seen as unilateral and have the potential for double taxation. So uh, diverted profits tax is another example in Australia that we have introduced. Ironically, the US would not have been subject to our diverted profits tax when its headline tax rate was at the higher rate, but once it reduces transactions with uh, the US will at least fall under the first qualification of being lower than 80% of the Australian tax rate and so will be within the, the scope of our diverted profits tax. So I think it's more part of a trend of uh, countries looking to protect their own tax base as well as encourage investment as best they can with the, in using the tax rules to do that. Very interesting observation around uh, both digital and diverted profits tax. We have a post-BEPS world now with uh, many countries taking unilateral actions, be it U.S. tax reform, uh, be it other in regimes or other uh, type of measures, uh, both Lawrence and Nick, which you mentioned. And as we look ahead to 2018 uh, and beyond, the rest of 2018, 2019, you know, we're going to see action on digital, both at the OECD and I think at specific country levels as, as possibly even EU-wide. We have attribution of profits to permanent establishments, which is still working its way, you know, now that there's final guidance out of the OECD. And you start to layer on uh, the other areas uh, where we'll see further developments. And uh, it certainly leads us to uh, more risk of double taxation uh, and, and, and rather than less risk of double taxation. So with that, any final thoughts for our audience as companies have to navigate through all these changes or final comments? But first to you, Lorenz, and then Nick. Well, maybe very briefly to underline what you said. I mean, BEPS was aiming to avoid double taxation and maybe also to to reduce complexity, but all what we, what we see unfortunately increases complexity and the risk of double taxation. Yeah, and, and that's really the challenge for the for the years ahead. Very, I think, very forthright observation: increased complexity and greater risk of double taxation. Nick, thoughts from your end? I would, I would entirely agree with that. I think one of the challenges, um, you know, the complexity of the rules means that um, in some cases um, there's going to be situations where double taxation is unavoidable uh, and, and it's going to be a question of how do you want to address that double taxation and, and, and where do you want to put your risk? And, you know, if I use the beat as an example, you know, there's a, a question as to whether, uh, you know, a particular transaction may end up being just imputed one side so as to uh, to minimise the risk of, of uh, you know, adverse consequences on the, on the US side. Uh, that's obviously not 
an outcome that's uh, conducive to, to global trade. But those sorts of considerations, I think, unfortunately, are going to be um, things, the sorts of things that companies are going to be thinking through and, and carefully um, considering as, as these rules sort of start to, to take effect. Well, that's, that's another good observation. Besides complexity and risk of double taxation, there's the third leg, which is the impact on trade. And of course, there's a number of non-tax measures uh, predominantly coming out of the U.S. on trade. So maybe that's a, a good way to, uh, at least for now, you know, end the discussion. So thank you both. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.